people are sitting in their living room and they're, the marketing money has produced these beautiful, beautiful ads that make life look wonderful associated with the particular drug that's being marketed. And what doctors have told us is that people come running to them asking for that drug or a drug like it. You're listening to Food Integrity Now with your host, Carol Gervais. Hello, everyone. My guest today is Lynn Cunningham. She is co-director and co-producer of the film Medicating Normal. Lynn edited documentaries for film and television in the 1980s for PBS and the History Channel and then in the 90s, she produced and directed a few films, one of which was A Quiet Revolution, The Emergence of Alternative Education in Japan. Then, in the early 2000s, a close family member, once a high-functioning scholar and athlete, having graduated from an elite college, was diagnosed with a mental illness. At first, the prescribed medication provided relief and stability but at what cost? Over a 10-year period, one drug became 10, and income from a vibrant, self-sufficient career was replaced with monthly disability payments. Lynn began searching for answers. She joined with her filmmaker partner, Wendy Ratcliffe, reading countless books, interviewing hundreds of psychiatric patients, and consulting with scores of experts across the country. Five years of research uncovered data and anecdotal evidence offering a stunning new perspective about mental health treatment. Lynn's personal quest to help one suffering individual turned into a mission to tell an untold story that became the basis of the film, Medicating Normal. Lynn, welcome to Food Integrity Now. I couldn't wait to interview after seeing a screening of your movie, Medicating Normal. Can you talk a little bit more about who you are and some of the other films you've worked on and if, why you're passionate about what you do? Thank you for having me, Carol. Um, I began as a filmmaker in the, in the 80s and 90s. I edited um, films for PBS for um, a producer named Michael Blackwood. They were American experience. They were very um, historically based artistic films. One, um, it was about Thelonious Monk and I loved the editing process. That's how, what got me into the film. I started working for a a company called Middlemarch Films and we did um, a series about the arts for children with the magicians, pen and tellers. So I'd sort of learned my craft then. And then I went, um, got a grant and went uh, to Japan and made a film, uh, a research grant and then ended up making a film questioning the entire Japanese education system and children who refused school, which was a very big deal at the time. It still is. Children who really just didn't fit into their educational system. And uh, then, then I came back to the United States, got very, became a parent, got very involved in, in parenting. And my filmmaking sort of shifted to more of an archival vein. I love people. I love, we have a vast family. I interviewed 
lots and lots of people between the ages of 60 and 100 in my family, and we put it in an archive. Uh, I made several family-oriented films, another film about a little school, a boarding school. So I've, I've sort of stayed in, but what I realized was to make a film like this is a huge, huge thing, and it takes absolute passion. And, and, it, and about 10 years ago, I have a beloved family member that you referred to already, and I couldn't figure out why she was not doing well on her psychiatric medication. And I just, I knew nothing about it. And so I started to read. And when you come upon something in life that is, you've never heard of it before. And I know there are pockets of these discoveries in every realm, but this for me, this story about psychiatry, not being the one that our family had initially confronted was so fascinating. And I, the internet, searching all over the internet, couldn't find anything. So I, we, I kept reading and reading and learning. And what I learned, I just, I knew I had to make a film. I knew that everything had to stop and that this particular film had to be made just based on what I, I hadn't known before my, my research. Um, which is why every time we screen this film, we say to people, do not believe us. This should be the beginning of a journey of your own research, of your own discovery. So I love that, Lynn. I do the same thing on every show I do. I never want to be the man in the white coat that knows it all. And I don't think my guests should be either, but I want to encourage people to do their own research about yeah. a subject if they're if they're concerned research. Yeah, because in the in the field of psychiatry, what we found over the five years of research and meeting so many people is that that the old way of, of psychiatry was that it was one person in one office with a doctor that is worshipped. And many of these doctors are good, but many are not. And and there was no questioning of what was happening. And I think the advent of the internet and shows like yours gave the patient more power to be able to compare with friends, to share on, on, on these wonderful support groups. And they began to say, well, I asked that question and they didn't answer it that way for me. And I'm on this drug, but it's for a totally different diagnosis. And, the, and the, that is what allowed us to be able to make this film because we would never have found our wonderful lineup of subjects ever if we didn't have the internet and access to sharing information. Yeah, well, wonderful. So here's a statistic that 7 million children under the age of 18 take prescribed psychiatric drugs. That to me is staggering. The pharmaceutical industry spends billions of dollars on marketing these psych drugs. Marketing psych drugs, okay? So the film is called Medicating Normal. Why do you feel normal may be in danger? It has become, and it, it, it is a systemic issue. And by the way, we're only one of two countries in the world that allow direct to consumer advertising on TV. So, uh, uh, people are sitting in their living room and the marketing money has produced these beautiful, beautiful ads that make life look wonderful associated with the particular drug that's being marketed. And what doctors have told us is that people 
come running to them asking for that drug or a drug like it. You know, sometimes I guess, sometimes it's okay, but other times uh, doctors themselves are not yet convinced that a drug works. But the, if, if, they, if a patient leaves their office without getting what they want, that quick fix, that, that drug that's been marketed to them, they'll simply go to another doctor or they'll write a bad review. It's a really, we do not want with this film to put doctors into the role of villain all the time. We are all sort of complicit in this whole system. So um, what we wanted to say with the title Medicating Normal, and it's interesting, many people don't like the title. Some people say great title. Um, what we are trying to say is that as in, in our society, it has become so normal to um, associate any kind of discomfort with a disease or with something that can be medicated. It's just, and all the kids, my, I have two college age kids, so many of their friends are on meds. And is that, is that true that, that so many more than one, I would say one in five of their friends are medicated. And is it really true that one in five kids that age actually need medication? And so I think it's just, it's trendy. It, they're the, the, the stimulants that some people call performance enhancing. And I, and I think they do help some kids, but there's a huge black market where kids just buy them and sell them in these colleges. So I, I just think it's, it is an epidemic. Bob Whitaker's book, Anatomy of an Epidemic was one of those first books I read. And it's chilling how commonplace it is. Oh, just get a, just get a med for that. And one med because it has side effects leads to another, which leads to another. Doctors do take offense at the title. Some doctors, not all, because they say, well, you know, we don't medicate normal people. When someone comes into us, they are, they are very, very, they are suffering and we give them something for it. That's not normal. And the premise of our film is that to be human means suffering. You know, it means losing people. It means not getting the things you want. It means getting yourself in a bad marriage and maybe having to get out or having to work through it. There are many, many reasons why we feel like um, medicating normal works. It, it helps people think about why they're being driven to medication. Is it really a disorder or a disease within them or do they need support? Is it, is it a disorder? Is it, is it actually an illness? So in the DSM, which is the kind of the Bible of psychiatry, uh, you, they talk about this in the movie. It allows three to 28 days for someone to get over some kind of acute stress. And when I heard that, I thought, wow, how did they come up with that? You, you get this amount of time to, to feel something and then you need to be over it. Yeah. And grief is the same thing. They have the yeah. same prescriptions for grieving. Um, the, the DSM, it's called the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, and it is called the Bible of Psychiatry. And it is, it is not, uh, it is a collection of observations and groups of people get together who are on the board of it. And they basically vote in and out. Uh, they vote and they randomly um, decide, I guess there, there is a system. It's very random and uh, diagnostic labels have to exist in order for a medicine to be covered by an insurance. So if a, a, a disease needs to exist, 
if you if you are going to be prescribing a medicine for it. So it's necessary in the the whole web of insurance and how that how all these meds are being paid for. You have to have it. But if you really go through the DSM, you will see that symptoms for one disorder exist in symptoms for another, and you you can actually yourself see that it doesn't. It's it is not a true document. It is used to try, it's collections of symptoms, basically. Yeah. And it's very random and it's very um, political. Yeah, well. Tied pharma money. So the thing is that we're confusing normal sadness, normal anxiety now with a mental disorder rather than having people feel, this is my opinion, having people feel what they need to feel, go through the grief process, go through sadness, stress, anxiety, whatever, talk to somebody, be okay with not feeling happy all the time, where they don't need to go find a drug to help them stop feeling because that's that's what i think a lot of these drugs do they 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 stuff it down and then the issue never really goes away it's just covered up that's i mean and that would be fine if you really i mean there are um, as david cohen from ucla points pointed out not in the film but in the many hours of wonderful interview we had with him you know people have for centuries wanted to feel better. And there are things, yeah. alcohol is used the same way. Um, you know, many, many, um, many substances, legal and illegal exist to make you feel better. But in the long, long run, if what you're dealing with is something that you need to work out, it's not gonna help. It will never go away unless you actually reach into yourself or do the work the therapy uh, required. And, but, and it is definitely not, a disease. Now, all of that said, some people get really upset in in our discussion about the film because they say, listen, it works for me. It helps me. It's a lifesaver. And what we say back is great. That is, this film's purpose is not to deny that some drugs help some people, especially in the short term to get from point A to point B. But it is long-term, not a good idea and not studied in any of the trials, the long-term impact is unknown. And um, that, so that is why we chose to make the film in this way. Like, right. Well, why don't you have a balanced film with someone who does really well in their drugs? Well, we do, we have Bree, who's married to Dave in the film, who, who, who doesn't do well necessarily, she's dealing with her poor husband, but she's not as harmed on her drugs as he is on his. So, and that's fine and that's great. And, and I feel like, this world of questioning psychiatry is too polarized. It's not that or that. It's people just need to be informed about the potential for harm. There is real harm. And um, that's why we kind of made not an imbalanced film, but a film about this. You follow several people in the film. And one of those people is Angie who at one point was on 17 different medications um, from 2006 to 2016. And she said that her visits with her psychiatrist were maybe like 10 minutes. 
long and she saw, uh, she was in therapy for like 13 years and not once did they indicate that some of her issues could be from the medication, which clearly for her, it was. And so how does that happen? I think it happens. Well, Angie is a veteran and um, in, in, in the world of veterans, uh, and she went and she was traveling from doctor to doctor. She didn't have one doctor. She kept going to different doctors because she kept not feeling good and didn't quite know why. And, and every time she'd go or, or report a different symptom, they'd add on another drug. And it's called polypharmacy. It happens a lot in the world of veterans. And that, I don't know whether you saw that one scene at Warfighter Advance when mm-hmm. the veterans were in, this, in the small cabin together. And one of the veterans, Rebecca, was a medic and she was the one that was listing off the drugs at the time in the cabin. And she was a medic and um, the amount of drugs she was taking, it, it just, anyway, she's now off all of her drugs and feels better, but it just, it happens before you know it. Another, and you're trying so hard to feel better that when another doctor says, oh, take this, you just suspend your, your critical thinking. And you think, okay, I have finally found the right drug. And basically people like Angie are being used as guinea pigs. Now in the world of polypharmacy, you know, everyone says the the, the drugs are not tested. The amount, these drugs are never tested in combination. And they're also being given for a lifetime. No, there's no exit plan. No one ever said to Angie, okay, let's try this. If it doesn't work, we'll go down to nothing. And then once you're baseline, nothing, we'll try another drug. Like if that were done, one drug at a time, we've been told that would be so much better. At least one drug at a time, they wouldn't have the polypharmacy. Well, because with the polypharmacy, you don't really know what you're dealing with right? because of all the interactions. And yeah, that just makes no sense to me whatsoever. Let's discuss the pharmaceutical industry. And I said that they spend billions of dollars marketing their drugs and how that really works. How do they market their drugs? So in the movie, you you talk about, well, you have a, um, I don't know if the gentleman was a psychiatrist where he's talking about the steps that they do to market their drugs. That's yeah. And that was fascinating to me. Um, not surprising, but I think that maybe our listeners may not know of how this mostly works. So do you, okay. you want to talk about some of those steps? Yeah. So the steps are basically that what, what the industry does is that, well, first of all, there's, it markets through direct to consumer on TV. Everyone knows that. But another big way that drugs are marketed are, and they clamped down a lot on it. They started, you know, there were, you know, pens and trips to um, Disneyland and things like that that were being given to prescribers. That's been um, subdued a bit, but the pharmaceuticals fund all uh, much of the continuing medication uh, courses that doctors absolutely need to up, keep their licenses uh, current. So continuing med- medication lectures on any number of, uh, I, I get 
there are any number of drugs are always available. And those speakers are very heavily compensated by industry. And the whole, the whole educational uh, conference is sponsored by industry. So the ongoing education of doctors is a lot about marketing. The pharma provides the funds to do it and the information, information about the drug they want known about. And when a doctor, even a good doctor is giving a lecture on a drug, they are more likely to then prescribe that drug. So that's another way. But what we described, we didn't go into those as much in the film. In the film, we went into the relationship between um, academic institutions, research institutions, and pharmaceuticals. So the pharmaceuticals put a lot of money and, and they fund a lot of academic research and they fund, um, they give money to the med schools. So um, many, many, we would really want our film to be shown in med schools, but we, we're skeptical because of, of all the funding that, that uh, is taken in. But so a thought leader in an academic institution really wants a trial. They want trials because that's what they're teaching institutions. Uh, John Hopkins, they want trials. And uh, these, are, these are very, very, very expensive to run. And when it is funded by pharmaceutical, the, uh, often the trial is run, often an academic runs it and, and they pay for it. And often it isn't even, the results of it are not even written by that academic. It, it's written by the, a ghostwriter and then the academic reads it over and signs it, lends his or her name to it. I mean, it's basically plagiarism. Yeah. Uh, but it isn't because it's sort of been standard industry practice. But so those uh, thought leaders are extremely influential in pushing and pushing. Um, and we describe how if you're a doctor and you're not associated with a teaching hospital and you're a good psychiatrist somewhere in the middle of the country and you hear that your hero at Harvard is, um, has a name on a study and then you read in the medical journals also are funded heavily, New England Journal of Medicine. If you do your research, you can read how much money those um, journals take in from pharmaceutical. And uh, JAMA. Yeah, and JAMA, all of them. Yeah. Um, th there's a conflict of interest. How can the same people who fund the trials and fund the dissemination of the trials um, fairly judge the merits of a given drug? They can't. There, and there's so many that we could make an entire film just on that. But yeah. we needed to do a kind of easy to understand overview that you, that Robert Whitaker, a journalist, um, did quite well in the film, I think. Yeah. So again, then you get, you have your practicing doctors who are well-intended. Yes. You know, and, you know, it's not like they're in cahoots with the pharmaceutical industry. They're well-intended, but then they're believing these ghost-written studies who have, um, as he calls it, Mr. Bigwig's name on it. And they really think this guy is, you know, God, this has got to be accurate because this guy has his name on it and he hasn't even written this. Yeah. It's been ghostwritten by the pharmaceutical company's people. Yeah. So it's, it's they a actually, fox girl. They design, oh, I, I love what you're about to say. I know, the fox guarding <laughs> the hen house. I love it. But I mean, 
they design them. Part of the marketing is designing a trial that will make the drug look good. And that's, yeah. I mean, so it, it, it's tentacles. The marketing tentacles are there from the very beginning. And so few people know this. And many, and I saw, we showed the film in one of the early rough cuts to a group of fairly prominent um, psychiatrists in New York, actually attached to some teaching hospitals. And I turned it off. It was a rough cut of the film. And they said, that was horrible. And I was so nervous. I thought, oh God, I knew this film was going to be hard, but you know, to hear that right when, and they, I said, why? And they said, well, you could have made 20 films here, which is true. We could have, but we wanted to make one overview so people could kind of understand. And then I said, well, of the 20 films, um, which, what would you guys make first? Then? If this was horrible, what would you do? All of them said, oh, we'd make a film about the corruption. Absolutely. The, the, all of that corruption stuff is absolutely true. So people know about this, are aware of it. It's just yeah. so broadly systemic that we need to rethink the way the whole thing is yeah. done. I totally agree. Um, you also talk about in the film that uh, Prozac in the 1970s, there were studies done in Germany that showed psychotic events. In, in, again, in the, in the 70s, and those events were suicidal events, homicidal events, psychotic event, uh, events, and that Germany would not approve Prozac. Yeah. But yet we got it approved in America. Yeah, exactly. Well, now Germany, by the way, it is approved there, but- They did, it's approved there now. Now, okay. yes. Yeah. But, um, you know, those, those Prozac studies are very well known. And um, even, even, we just talked to a doctor from Yale who knows about them. You know, everybody knows this and, and they still, they create, they do, they, not in everybody. This is what's so tricky about this whole um, endeavor. Prozac does not harm everybody who takes it. There are people who are okay and do well on Prozac, but there are sig un significant enough numbers of people who respond poorly that we should at least talk about that and know about it as a society. Yeah. Um, and it's just not out there. My concern is the overprescribing. Yeah. You know, just like, um, you know, I can't sleep at night. Here's a pill. I, you know, I had some anxiety the other day. Well, well I have a drug for that. You know, just the, it just, it seems to be our go to, especially in this country, rather than yeah. just working out your feelings. Yeah. Uh, those, those easy to prescribe drugs, uh, well, the, the, the most vicious, I think, and hard, hardest to get off of are a class of drugs called benzodiazepines. Yeah, what are benzodiazepines? They're, you... they're, they've been around since the 50s. You know, mm -hmm. that whole little part of the film gives a kind of visual history. Um, yeah. You know, they were prescribed in, in uh, you know, for the, for the housewife at home who's anxious about whatever. And they are anti-anxiety pills. They are um, basically Ativan, Clonopin. I don't know whether I'm able to name these things. They're Ativan, Clonopin, Valium, Xanax. Abilify. Abilify. No, Abilify. No, it's not a benzo. That's oh, a, it's not. That's an SSRI. That's an oh, antipsychotic. Okay, that's right. Okay. Or yeah, it might right. be an antipsychotic. Anyway, no, the benzos are, uh, Xanax is the one that we feature or show the trial yeah. of in our film. Yeah, and um, they're they're they are incredibly addicting, 
and um, it doesn't mean that people who they're addicting on the on the on the dosages that are prescribed to people. So they're not a, they're not at all addicting. They're not addicts. People who are using them, they are a very dependency causing drugs and extremely hard to get off of. Yeah. Um, and now, just recently, a black box warning has is now on those the bottles of the, that class of drug, and so people will be able to read that. But that only recently happened. Yeah. Well, I thought it was interesting. Also, the part of the movie um, I forget her name, Shalimar. Was that her name? Yes, yeah, Shalimar. Shalimar, where she finally went to an attorney because of all the harm that she had from not only taking the drugs, but trying to get off the drugs. And the attorney basically said he didn't really think he could help her because the drug that she wanted to go after the pharmaceutical uh, company for was a generic, had become a generic drug. And I did not know that, that once it becomes a generic drug, you can't sue the manufacturer. There's no yeah. liability. Yeah. Yeah. No liability because it's generic. Yeah. And um, the whole patent system, it's so interesting. The, 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 the tiny little changes that can occur in, in any given drug so that it can then be, uh, it, it can then be submitted for a new patent. You know, things like um, the female Viagra is actually Prozac repackaged, you know? So there's a little tiny changes and a, a drug, it's called evergreening. And it's, it is so that a, a company can continue to make new uh, revenue from a given drug that's slightly changed a tiny bit. And then it, then it's, then it goes on in patents, a, a new patent. Wow. So they're only allowed, the patents are extremely lucrative and they only last so long. So, and then there's a whole other part of it, which is the generics who then buy, who then sell the drug generically. And yeah, no, once a drug is generic, you cannot, that's it. And the new manufacturer can't put any additional warnings on it once it's generic. Is that? No, no. True. Yeah. No, even if they want to. That's that's just crazy. Well, another thing in the movie that was so disturbing to me was the people that you highlighted, many of them had suicidal thoughts that they were never suicidal before they started using the drugs. And they'd have these thoughts and wonder when where those thoughts were coming from. You know, I've I've seen some statistics about suicides and some of these drugs and people need to be informed about this before they consider this for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and there's the, um, you know, 22 veterans commit suicide a day and that is always talked about and, and it's, um, used and politicians refer to it. So many people in public health refer to it. And then it's as if the conversation stops there. Why are 22? Of course, we know 22, some of them are based on their experience and the horrors that they've uh, um, witnessed. But so many of them are medicated. 
and nobody is doing the work to figure out of those 22 a day who are committing suicide, how many are having adverse reactions to the, not what, to the, not just one drug, two, three, four, five, how many drugs are they on? And why can't we just do research about the causes of the suicide? And then you say, well, then we need more mental health services for these, because look at this, 22 are committing suicide. And then more health services often mean more medication. And so the, the real, the root of the problem is not being looked at. And yeah. suicide is every, every, a risk, a side effect of every class of drugs. Yeah. Um, it's in the black, it's in the black, it's in the FDA fine print for sure. But yeah. most people who take them do not know this. Yeah. Well, another thing you talk about in the movie with several of the people you highlight is um, their experience of getting off of these drugs. And I had no idea that titrating off had to go so slowly. So I think that really was an eye opener and something that people need to be aware of. If you do choose to use one of these drugs, this is, and you decide to go off of it, you know, you, you have to go off so slowly. So slowly, like, like not only 10%, is the rule of thumb and i'm being very general and people right really really talk to a professional or do a ton of research but it's not only 10 percent; it's 10 percent of the of the dose you're actually looking at so that incrementally the smaller you go um you've got to still take 10 percent of a much smaller amount so it's an incremental uh 10 and um this is this is because the the smaller you get the greater drop you're actually going and you have to be so so careful that that too fast to taper can lead to seizures it can lead to suicidality it can it, so many horrible things happen and in the beginning of the film we were focused mostly on benzos benzodiazepines because it's it's that's known those drugs are very hard to get off of and by the end, we were very well aware of that the antidepressants are just as hard as benzos to get off of. It's just not as known. Not everyone has problems, but those who do are suffer not just six months. Some people suffer two, three, four years. And I, I want to say Angie now even, I mean, she's functioning now and she's doing really, really well, but she still has uh, symptoms from withdrawal she feels she's been neurologically injured. How about Dave too? Dave, he- Dave too. Dave, Dave was another veteran. Dave was another veteran and um, extremely bright. Um, both Angie and Dave are off the chart smart. And Dave has, is, is grappling still with memory issues. He feels that, um, and also he took an antibiotic uh, about a year ago and his reaction to the antibiotic it was just, it was like a sulfa drug or something like that, that he, he knew before he'd taken. But now in his sort of neurological state of healing from withdrawal, the reaction to that antibiotic spun him backwards and he started having all of his withdrawal symptoms. So wow. your, your body is rewired because of the drugs and it takes a long time to heal. And again, just know that, weigh that in your uh, weighing of whether you, you want to take the drug or not, just have that information. And that's what 
we hope people will get from this film. Most of these drugs are, are really just supposed to be short term. Yes. And, and, they're they're, you their know, trials are short term. Yeah, yeah. Like, like Xanax, wasn't that the, the short term study showed that, you know, after eight weeks, um, the first eight, eight weeks, the anxiety went way down. Yep. And, and that's where their study stopped. But after that, the anxiety started going up and superseded what it was before. Yep. So as a short term, for some people, it may work. But the problem yes. is that many people don't realize that. And maybe their doctors don't relay that in a way that they end up taking these drugs for years. Yes. What we say, and we have these wonderful screenings of the film, and what we say, what we talk about is, if you're looking for a doctor, just say, what is the exit plan? Like, um, how long do you think it will, I, I need to be on this drug? And then once, and what's the goal? And then once then, do you know how to get me off? What is your plan to help me get off the drug? And they're just simple, simple questions. If your doctor says, you don't need to get off this drug, it's, you can be on it for life very safely. They don't know what they're talking about. If they yeah. say, okay, yes, when that time comes, here's my plan and they roll it out. That is a way to choose a doctor, in my opinion, a good doctor. Yeah. So we call it the exit plan. And yeah. um, there's no reason that anyone needs to be on a drug forever. There's no reason. Yeah. Our show's Food Integrity Now. We're all about a healthy diet and how that can help your mental state, too. A, a colleague, uh, a, a child psychiatrist who moved, who's a uh, who's been on panels uh, uh, for Medicating Normal, moved from Detroit up to the Upper Peninsula of Michigan and uh, was uh, adopted or given 100 patients, children who were taking antipsychotics for behavior. 100 in this little town that she was in. She couldn't believe it. All, all you know, they were all on food stamps. It was, a, it was a, a, not an a affluent area. So the foods, the organic foods and the supplements that, that uh, people in, in affluent cities have access to, this group did not. They wouldn't have been able to afford it. So she figured out, she got a grant and she figured out a way to, to help the parents understand that you know hyperactivity at night and some, a child not being able to calm down, you could go to the dollar store, you can fill the tub with magnesium and with a bubble bath and it will calm the child. It will calm the child enough so that after bath, it's easier to go to bed. And little little things like that, it didn't cost that much money. And she's gotten 75 of these kids off of the antipsychotics. And these are little kids who are not psychotic people. They're just normal kids who are, uh, anyway. Um, so what you eat, and, and what supplements you take really do matter. Your lifestyle, yeah. Yeah, your lifestyle really matters. And that's what, if we're gonna be reinventing psychiatry, those are the things that I think should be taught in med school. Well, yeah. nutrition, My, this, this doctor that I'm telling you about was, she was the only one in her class at Wayne State that took the nutrition course for psychiatrists. Otherwise, I mean, they're like, oh, nutrition, no, no, no. We're, we're, yeah. we're doctors, yeah. we're about chemical imbalance. So, yeah, 
I think we're learning more and more about the value of nutrition and, you know, the gut brain connection. And um, I personally know many people, actually people who have had children that were labeled ADHD and, and even autistic or on the spectrum and they've changed their diets and it changed their lives. It's so exciting. Yeah, it's just exciting. And there's no side effects. Yes, there are no side effects. And yeah. and I, I don't know this, I know you know this, but the, the, the knowledge that there are more serotonin receptors in the gut than there are in the brain. And that's the, supposedly the action mechanism for the SSRIs. I mean, just think about that fact alone. Yeah, and then so, you have um, glyphosate, which is in food that is non-organic in a lot of it. Glyphosate yeah. is the active ingredient in Roundup. And that glyphosate can block that serotonin inhibitor. And it, it blocks that, well, I said that incorrectly. It, it can block the tryptophan, which goes to the serotonin. And, you know, it, it can really be part of the problem with a child acting out in ways that are not, I don't want to say normal, because yeah. I, I don't know what normal is, you know, normal is just being happy and healthy and whatever it is to you. But, but anyway, so I just wanted to, to bring up diet, because that that is so important. And it choosing an organic whole food diet and see how that works. So, yeah. so with with the film, what was your what was your hope for the film um, as far as what you want people to know? What's the big takeaway? The big takeaway is something called informed consent. And it's, it is a little bit in the editing room, we struggled with it because it's how can you give informed consent if some of this knowledge isn't being taught in the medical schools or the nursing schools? How can, how can it actually exist? But it is out there and, and, and it is, we are informing ourselves as a society, but people now, it is up to the patient to be able to demand. I mean, I go into a doctor's office and really ask about the long-term impact of what it might mean to take a particular drug. And that is something that is not just on the doctor, it's also on us. We need to do our research. So I think the notion of informed consent is really about empowering the patient and making it more of a partnership and less of an authoritarian here, I'm giving this to you, you must take it. Um, So questions need to be asked and more knowledge about what it is you're gonna be taking and how long. Um, So that's really what we want of the film. And we wanna create a dialogue that doesn't put anybody in a corner. It doesn't make a doctor feel like they're a bad doctor or doesn't even make a pharmaceutical feel like it's bad. I mean, they're in business. They're trying, of course they market, but we want the film to lead the way to just a shift in this whole system and why it exists because it is systemic. And um, uh, so I think just airing the film and in the way we air it now, right now, before we stream it, we think it's really important to watch it with a panel and we try to get people with different perspectives on the panel And so people watching can ask questions and interact with panelists. And I think there's just a lot to learn 
about listening to different perspectives about this topic. So uh, yeah, I think a society-wide discussion about these issues um, is really our agenda. Yeah, well, to me, it was empowering because it, what I think the film can do for people is have them, like you said, question. Mm -hmm. Ask the questions, ask your doctor, do some research. Don't just believe the man in the white coat who may be 100% well-intended. We have to take the responsibility. We have to own the responsibility of what we put into our body. We're not a victim to it ever. Yeah. We yep. can do some research, we can ask questions, and then we can make informed consent. Yep. So I think it's wonderful. How, Lynn, how do we watch the movie, which I highly recommend? Uh, how, do, how do they watch the film? Well, for the time being, this will change. This will change in six months to a year because hopefully eventually it will be on Amazon or Netflix, um, a streaming platform. But for right now, um, they go to our website, medicatingnormal.com, and we have listings of screenings that are open to the public. And that we, we were this month, it's you know almost every other day or every at least once a week, there is a screening that they can sign up for. Or if they are just burning to watch the film, we're very, very open to um, if they want to watch the film, they can have a screening. And they just need to have an organization or a group that, that could be as small as a book club. It can be a rotary club, a veterans group, um, a library screening. Um, our, our screenings are small. They range from like 20 people and go to 300 people. So it, we're very, very excited when people approach us that way. So just that our email to, to contact is medicatingnormal at gmail.com. So our website has listings and they can also communicate directly with us um, with our Gmail address. Again, medicatingnormal at gmail.com. Wonderful. Well, the, I think I highly recommend the film and, uh, you know, just get informed and share it with other people. Yeah. Education is the key. You know, there's, there's a lot of people that may already know this, but I think there's a lot of people that don't. So thank you for making the film, Lynn. And uh, I just, um, I'd love to be on one of your panels one time talking about the food part of it. We'd love that, Carol. Yeah. We'd love it. Because that people say, what are the solutions? If I don't have a drug, then what do I have? And then- Yeah, there are so many. I'm also a life coach too. So that kind of goes hand in hand, life coaching yeah. and and and- and holistic nutrition. So thank you for making the film. I think it's an important one and go to medicatingnormal.com and sign up for a screening or create your own. Let's get the word out to as many people as possible. So